It was 1945, World War II had ended, as the United States shifted its focus from defense, what became a priority was rebuilding. A design firm based in Honolulu that consisted of two men, Pete Wimberly and Howard Cook, was born. The key to their rapid growth and success came down to two things, design intelligence and local knowledge. The firm would continue its evolution, eventually being known as WATG, after Pete Wimberly, Jerry Allison, Greg Tong, and Don Gu, who solidified the firm as being a leading and innovative architecture and design studio. 78 years later, WATG has grown to have a global presence, all the while retaining those two guiding principles of pushing the possibilities of design and respect for the local sites and communities where projects would be built, which meant creating with sustainability in mind and growth opportunities for their teams. So what can we learn from the past that will help our present and future? How has the vision changed to respond to the needs of today? What lessons have been learned? And how do you keep staying ahead of the wave? Hello everyone, my name is Monita Rajpal. Welcome to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast where we explore the ideas, issues and trends that are being discussed within the design community today, as well as among clients and customers. Joining me to talk about the past, the present and WATG's future is the company's president and CEO, David Moore. David joined WATG in 1989 in the firm's Honolulu office and is the first CEO from WATG to be based in Asia-Pacific, a region he pioneered for the firm in the 1990s, where he led the opening of the Singapore office in 1997. Over the years, he has designed more than 50 projects with WATG, which include urban, lifestyle, and boutique projects. Today, David's focus is mentoring young talent to lead WATG into the future by championing groundbreaking design and pushing WATG to be a leading presence and voice in hospitality today. We were fortunate enough to interview David in person while he was attending meetings at WATG's studio in London. David, welcome. You were appointed CEO of WATG back in December 2020. How would you describe how the last few years have been? Well, I think it was quite interesting taking the helm in COVID. <laughs> was a pretty difficult piece to, to fathom. How are we going to do this? Because there are so many things that we wanted to move forward with the company and so many things that we needed to do. And we needed, we knew we needed to do some changes within the company, but at the same time we had the massive restrictions of oh, going on. So that was kind of the first kind of hurdle that we wanted to get through. And as I took it and opening the can of worms of what it was, cause I'd never been a CEO before. And you start to delve deeper into the good and the bad of what you see in your company, or I wouldn't say bad, but things that you want to improve on. It was challenging to begin with, but it was an opportunity. It, it was just a incredible opportunity to be able to to open that up and say, hey, we can do better in these areas and, and get stronger and, you know, enhance our culture and help our staff and the designers and, and, and all those things. And at the same time, we learned a lot. Actually working from home, nobody thought we could do it. You know, I've been in this industry for 35 years and 
always heard, no, everybody's always got to be together. There's no way we can work separate. And all of a sudden we had to figure out how we're going to work from home and we were able to do it. What did you learn about that time and about how you could adapt to change? Yeah, the first thing you definitely realized we could do it. But we had to do things to just really overemphasize and make sure we were connected to our staff, even if they were at home. And I really feel for so many of the staff, because you know, you have a, a husband and a wife, two partners trying to do phone calls for their individual companies at the same time with children in the background. And so it was a balancing act for them and it was being flexible for us to make sure that we were working around what they needed to in their personal lives. It, it was just a great opportunity, which has led now to a more flexible work schedule. I, I do think it's still important that teams come together and I think we're better when we're together, but there are those times that we can just get our work done and, and. So you don't aren't forced to come in every day. So we're, we're really working on a hybrid schedule now to, I think most of the world, I think people really feel energized to be able to have that time if they need it, but no, they have a deadline to get things done. And they do the talent in these offices is amazing. You've been with WATG since 1989. You worked with the founders of the company. The founders who believed in a collaborative approach and the, that was the way to inspire passion and purpose in their teams. How has that informed how you see yourself as a leader? Well, each one of those partners had an influence and I hate to say it, but I'm probably one of the last 10, 15 people in the company that knew every single one of those guys and had the opportunity to work pretty much with all of them. And uh, I'll just go down the list, maybe. Pete Wimberly, passionate about design, just, and he was a perfectionist about it. And in those days, you know, we're talking the early 90s, it was a different environment. And if he saw a design he didn't like on the table, sometimes there were some choice words <laughs> that went across the office. It was never personal. I didn't, nobody ever felt it was a personal attack. It was about, we can do better. And he was so passionate about what we were doing and he never settled for, oh, that's, that's okay. Let, we'll just let it go. It was, no, we can do better. And he would rip your drawing off the table. <laughs> he would want it up, wow. throw it on the floor, but he would sit with you and then talk to you about design. So that was an amazing thing to learn from him. Jerry Allison, I never worked with directly, but he also had an influence on me because if you're sitting in a board meeting, you're sitting in any type of meeting that, that's happening, talking about the WATG business of things. He would always say, what are we going to talk about design? And we could be talking about finances, the company's up, the company's down, what HR issues or whatever. And it was always, what are we going to talk about design? What are we going to talk about design? And he was always injecting that passion for design. That's our lifeblood. We got to keep driving that way. And so that really instilled got to keep us focused. We got to keep driving to do better and better and challenging ourselves and not settle it. Greg Tong was more of the business guy. And I worked with him very closely. He was about the contract and I think he loved design, but he was about the deal. He was a guy that would walk by your desk instead of wadding up your drawing would break your pencils no because way. he, <laughs> he would say, uh, you're over delivering 
And he told me, you make more money at the negotiating table than on the drawing table. Your profits and losses are going to be made at the negotiating table. But if he saw you over delivering what he wanted delivered for a phase, he would break your pencil and say, stop, you're done. We're not doing anymore. We're going to present this to the client. That was quite good. And then Don Gu, another guy that's incredibly passionate. And I would say kind of more well-rounded. It was about the, it was about design, but it was also about the company as a whole. And I didn't understand it in the early days. He had a, he would bring us in probably once a month and he had a thing, it was called donuts with Don. <laughs> and uh, so as a young architect, you go sit with the partner, which, which was great. You know, they're spending time with you. So when I first left there, his, his advice would be just stare out the window. I'm thinking, oh my God, I got to get all these projects done. And I got deadlines and, but it wasn't stare out the window just to daydream. It was about how do we do our design better? How do we run our business better? How do we take care of the planet? How are we going to make things better for everybody? He was always, he was a big, deep thinker about things. So that the combo of all those guys together made for an incredible team. They all had influence along with many other partners that I traveled with, but those four in particular, who I was fortunate enough to work with in my early days was so uh, incredible. Those four is now you, <laughs> right? Well, to see. take the best of all that you were for yeah. and it's now down to you. Yeah, um, definitely. How do you see yourself in that role? It, I mean, it's such a legacy yeah. here and it's such a responsibility to make sure that, that we maintain that legacy going forward. What I strive for, for me, what it means if I had to just still it down to the bottom line is I want to leave this company better than I got. I had a le my legacy from their legacy. They left it in great shape, but we can leave it better than they did. But and keep instilling the values that they brought in. History at WATG, if you boil it down, comes down to three things. Credibility, knowledge, and authenticity. Now, those things can be seen or used as a bridge from the past to the present and to the future. But how do you keep pushing forward? How do you keep staying or pushing for relevancy in the present and the future without resting on your laurels that your history has? That's a really interesting question because I've actually, I've been around for so long. I've, and I don't want to say company-wide, but I've seen the hospitality industry. Sometimes I would say rest on its laurels. Sometimes you just kind of see it plodding along and then it does another shoot up with some something new coming in. But for me, we have to have people that are passionate about what they do. We have to have a team of people and they are the talent around every office that you go into. They're so passionate about delivering great design. We have to be willing to make mistakes and, and step back and push forward. We do make mistakes sometimes, it's, which is okay because we learn from that. Our teams learn from that. But as long as they keep that passion, keep the curiosity for learning, wanting to get out there and see what's happening. And, uh, and I say that by seeing what our competitors are doing. The other thing I, I love is that we're the United Nations when you walk into our offices. It's, uh, there's people from, from everywhere and you can, you can pull ideas from anywhere. There's a great example of that was, um, we were doing a project in the Philippines and we were trying to design this pattern that would relate to the local community, but also be part of the architecture of our building. So we got the auntie that does coffee. It was from, 
the Philippines and we had some administrative people that were from the Philippines and we had architects too in there, but they all sat together. And of course the coffee auntie was, she was like, what am I doing here? But she just interjected her history. Amazing. And we came up with this incredible piece that's built now, but just to know the, all these people had an influence. I find that just amazing. How would you then define or describe that kind of environment that fosters this ability for the team, for architects, for designers, whether they're seasoned or whether they're just starting out, to feel this sense of confidence, to take calculated risks and to be able to even just voice their opinion? You know, I think with this generation that's moving into the business now in their 20s, I think it's great because they are more vocal about things. I, I would say... When I first came through, you know, you have Pete Wimberly and the guys in the room, you know, these are the experts of the experts in hospitality and, and you get like, oh my gosh, I don't want to say anything. I, you know, this, I may sound ridiculous or stupid, but I think this new generation that's going to take over, they ask a lot of questions and they're not afraid to ask questions. Knowing from a senior leadership level, there's no wrong question. You're not going to get beat up because you ask a question. You're asking a question because you want an answer and you need to know. So as long as our leadership realizes that and really promotes, just ask. My door's open, just ask. Or sitting around the table, just if you don't know, ask the question and it's okay. What do you believe are the necessary qualities that the next generation of architects and designers need to have in order to succeed? Passion for what we do, a love of this industry of hospitality, which is, I think it's one of the most amazing industries you could be working in. After I've designed some of the hotels that I've worked on over the years, and I'll go stay at them, which, you know, you're proud because, you know, you've designed them, but it's actually the best part is sitting maybe at a bar next to the beach in the evening and another couple comes up and you just strike a conversation about experience. And I think just hearing their experiences, what they really like about the hotel, or if they've had something that's not there, you really learn from those. So that goes back to the, the learning piece. You always have to be willing to learn, listen, and that curiosity. And then as a company, we need to make sure we're creating environments where people can, and those programs um, where people feel that they can grow with this company. How does a company like WATG retain talent, but also attract new talent? We do have things to offer that a lot of architecture companies don't have. One is the possibility of travel. And one of the reasons I joined WATG is I knew I couldn't pay my way to see the world. But if I found a firm that could get me there, that was just a huge piece of the travel piece. It's out there. But when you're a young architect, you're not traveling out all the time. And, and people don't always want to wait because it takes time to get the knowledge, you know, to go in front of a client and then. Even if you're just on the side, if the client asks you a question, you know, so we have to make sure people are experienced. So some of them don't want to wait. So I think also being a learning organization comes in. I think the incredible design talent that lies within all our offices is a real driver. But I think we can do more. One of the reasons I'm in London this week is to discuss those issues with all the managing directors that are here. How are we going to get better at doing that? We have a lot of things to drive people in, and I think we will continue to keep working on how we're going to get the retention side up because we, we want these people are amazing. So we must be doing something right because you stayed for what, 30, 33 years? 30, 33 years. Yeah, I, what I makes you just, stick around? What's, what keeps you here? 
I can tell you it wasn't the money, but it was a heart, the heart and soul of the founders and the other leadership that I worked with. They made mistakes, but their heart and where they were trying to drive us was always really focused. I never felt that like there was any, anything negative coming towards me. It was always, how am I going to lift, lift him? And they call it Ohana in Hawaii. It's, it's, it goes back to family. So you go through all our offices and they'll, they'll say Ohana. We're trying to create that group of people that really feels connected together. And, and we are at a leadership level, but we need to bring that down because these relationships are lifelong. Even if somebody leaves later and a lot of them leave and then they come back, but the relationships are there and it's, uh, it's so important. What's your ambition for WATG? What does a leader in, in the industry look like? What does that, you know, being better I want to be the, you can feel like. I want to be the advisors for our clients. I want them coming to us for advice on what to do. And we, we can do that's true. Our advisory strategy teams, architecture teams, interior teams, landscape planning, we can do from the very upfront end where they're trying to figure out what to do, how many rooms, what type of restaurants, all the way to the nuts and bolts of getting this together and watching it on site. We can do all of that. So it's not about selling a project for me. It's about being an advisor to the clients. You would know. You've been in the hospitality industry since you were 14 years old. Uh, you were uh, a bellwaiter. That's how you started out. So you would know it from the other side too, from an operator's perspective, and now also from an architect and designer's perspective. How do you think that growth that you've been through, that you've been part of since you were 14, has shaped you? I started at a holiday in Buena Park, California, which is right next to Knott's Berry Farm. Uh, when I turned 16 and got my license, I got to drive a English double-decker bus <laughs> at 16 years old, which is I, why they ever let a 16-year-old do that. Piling all the guests from the hotel in, and we'd drive them over to Disneyland and drive them back. And, uh, and then at that time, if you were um, a bellhop in the hotel, you also did the room service and were the waiters. And you were really the point of contact for the guests. I think it's where I first started to learn about guest experience, where it could be really good and really powerful for a guest, or it could be a really bad experience in the hotel for them. And how, if something went wrong, how do you recover? with the guests and make sure that we know that didn't go well, we're going to do this for you or go the extra mile for them yeah. in the hotel. So I think experience and service were the first two pieces I learned in there. You have to do that right. And then I went over to another hotel called the Conestoga Inn. And that was right next to Disneyland. Very, very close. It was uh, more of a boutique hotel. And I would say probably the level that people were paying for the room per night was was more. It was a higher grade hotel. And just to see what that level of service. So now you went from three and a half star, now you're in the four and a half star. And just that that jump you would see how the demands of people really change. The expectation level went up. What is the WATG way? When I look at the WATG way, it's really always pushing our designs forward. Don't settle. That would be like the basic line for me, but also making sure we're taking care of the planet and the people. These hotels we build, they're like little communities from the biggest hotel. Some of the biggest hotels are in Las Vegas. You figure 6,000 rooms with casinos and everything. You might have 20 or 30,000 or more people on the site at one time. That's a city that's operating 
behind the scenes. All of these things have to be taken care of and thought about. We're taking care of communities. You know, there's a lot of competition with employees in certain markets, you know. They don't like the uh, back, what we call the back of house areas because it's the one down the street's better. They just move, they'll go. They want to go where there's a nice place to work. So I got to take care. I got to make sure they're taken care of equally as the guests because they want, you want the best staff taking care of your revenue of guests coming in. So so many facets of pieces and parts that we always have to keep challenging ourselves and making sure we're, we're ahead on. So I, to me, WATG, just to sum it up really is WATG way is really always challenging ourselves and pushing, pushing the design. How does that also play into what your values are for WATG and what the company values are? We want to share our success with our staff and make sure that we're rewarding and they feel part of the team. And, you know, whether it's end of the year rewards or working on a, a project, we have an employee owned trust. So everybody gets a share of the, the profits at the end of the year. And Ohana, basically. It is, it is the Ohana yeah. piece. The second one is, advocates for good. And that's in everything that we do. Do good for our clients, be their trusted advisor, do good for the planet, do good for the people in the communities we're working or hotels may be going into because they all have an impact. Um, joy of living. We did a, a whole survey with staff and senior leaders. Joy of living was like <laughs> the peace and, and joy of living to me is is everything that you do it's with your family it's here it's how we treat each other and the respect that we show each other the issues that architects and designers have had to face over the last 15 years 20 years and now into the future were things that perhaps weren't considered before a warming planet yeah. unpredictable weather patterns yeah. you don't know what's coming but you know something's coming and how you design for that, how you prepare a space or an environment for that are challenges that architects before have never had to, to deal with. So there is a sense of a real elevation of what you can offer yep. the client. I think sometimes even more so in the hospitality industry because hotels are not the most efficient uses of energy and even orientation of buildings. So. Being a leader in sustainability in the hospitality industry is very important to me. And we got a whole team working towards that. What have you learned about yourself in the 35 plus years as a professional architect and someone who's now in management and senior management? What have you learned about yourself that you bring to your life, you work every single day? I'm very adaptable. <laughs> to different environments, different cultures, different people. And I absolutely love that. I love just being immersed in all of it. I think that that gets me very, very excited. As I've gone through management, I do miss the drawing table. Sometimes I do get to, I do comment on designs and, and do reviews and, and help younger staff move forward with what we're doing. But, um, yeah, just being able to adapt for me and not be afraid to walk into different culture, situation, food, you know, wh whatever it is, because it's just, it's just part of life. And it's really, that's what makes life exciting to me. If it was all the same for me, I think I would be very bored. So I, I like that adaptability piece for me. What kind of a person do you think it takes to be a good leader, an effective leader? Mm -hmm. 
for me, it's about serving. We have to be willing to serve. And I think I have more of a servant's heart. I'm not, I'm not the, the boisterous yelling. I, I, I would never be Pete Wimberly. Um, who sometimes, like I said, in those days can <laughs> say things, um, although it wasn't personal, I, that's not me. I, I want to serve the, and just make things better for the people that are working here. I want to leave it better. So I think a servant's heart. It draws upon humility. And we don't often see that, mm-hmm. you know, we often think that we have to have a big ego in order to, to be confident and to succeed. But humility is so important too. What I love about this company, you go to any, any of our offices, we're really built on incredible talent, but there isn't one rock star. That's the guy. It takes everybody here to do it. And, and I've had clients come in and say, wow, I, you guys just pull it all together. And it, it is about everybody. And I guess it goes back to the values we want to share that success. That was David Moore, president and CEO of WATG, joining me from their studio in London. You've been listening to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast. I'm Monita Rajpal. Thank you for being with us.